Oh, hey there. This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast. This message is the first in our Advent series because, yeah, Advent starts today. Can you believe it's that time of year already? This message is called Advent, the Hope of Jesus, where Jeff teaches on how we can live into the hope of Jesus during this Advent season. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com and just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. This morning, ready or not, it is the first Sunday of Advent and the first morning in our Advent series where we are going to be taking some time over the next several weeks to prepare our hearts for Christmas and to spend some time reflecting on and waiting for and anticipating Christmas together and what this season can mean for us as we follow Jesus together. And this morning on this first Sunday of Advent, we are focusing in on the theme of hope, the hope of Jesus and the difference that hope can make in our lives. And so as we get started, let me ask you a really simple question. If someone were to ask you, what are you hoping for these days? How would you answer that? Like, what's the big thing, the the big deal going on in your world, in your life these days that you find yourself hoping for most? Anything come to mind? Maybe for you, uh, your big hope these days is simply that we have a Christmas this year and that we don't find ourselves in some sort of lockdown again like we did last year. Or for that matter, if you want to shoot real high, uh, maybe for you, your hope is that COVID just kind of goes away finally, and that we don't have to worry about COVID and lockdowns and restrictions and masks and all these kinds of things anymore. Wouldn't that be great if that would just go away? Or maybe for you, your big hope these days is that you'll have enough money to make it through Christmas this year and that you'll be able to even get some sort of Christmas bonus or a surprise check in the mail and that somehow, some way, some extra money will come your way and you'll be able to get presents for everybody and do all the things that you want to do For Christmas, maybe that's your big hope right now. Or maybe for you, your big hope these days is not really about Christmas or about COVID or anything like that, but it's about a relationship in your life where you find yourself hoping and praying for relational reconciliation and healing in your marriage, perhaps, or in a relationship with your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or a friend or a family member who you find yourself in conflict with. For you, your hope these days is for relational reconciliation, healing in that relationship. Or maybe for you, if you could summarize your big hope with just one word, it would be this. It would be the word relief. Relief from the stress and the anxiety of life, relief from the pressure and the grind, relief from the expectations you and others have on yourself, relief from the mental exhaustion and depression even perhaps that you are finding yourself navigating these days. Can you relate to any of this? What are you hoping for these days? That's the question. What's your big because as, as human beings, we can't help but hope, right? We are hopers by nature. We look forward, we wish, we expect, we anticipate, we pray, we hope for things all the time. 
don't we? Whether those be small things like kids hoping that Santa gets them that certain gift for Christmas or hoping maybe for a snow day when there's snow in the forecast and things like this, or whether it be big things like hoping for a partner, a spouse, a godly husband or wife to do life with if you're single and that's something that you want, or hoping again for reconciliation in a marriage or in a family, or in a relationship, or hoping that our kids, if you're a parent, or grandkids, if you're a grandparent, turn out okay, that they'll love and trust Jesus and live for him, or hoping and praying for good health. We hope for these kinds of things, big things and small things, often without even realizing it, because as the writer of Ecclesiastes put it, he has set eternity in the human heart. And because of that, we can't help but hope and dream and look forward to the future. It's hardwired into our very souls. We are hopers by nature. Even when things feel hopeless and we find ourselves despairing in life as human beings, we are always looking for something or someone to put our hope in because again, we are hopers by nature. Not (laughs) naughty by nature for all you 80s and 90s kids out there, but hopers by nature. It's how we were created. But I'll tell you, there is one thing about hope that can make hope uh, really difficult, isn't there? Well, truthfully, there's several things that can make hope really difficult, depending on our story, whether we're talking about anxiety or mental health challenges or disappointment and hurt and pain from the past, wounds that can cause us to become more pessimistic and cynical as opposed to optimistic and, and hopeful. Those are all things that can make hope difficult. But there is one thing in particular about hope that can make hope difficult for everybody, no matter your story. And that one particular thing, that one particular reality is this. It's that hope involves waiting. Hope and anticipation and looking forward to something that we hope will happen in the future. It involves waiting for that to happen. And we don't like waiting all that much, do we? We want to know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And we don't want to just you know, hope for it to happen, wait for it to happen. But hope, it involves waiting. There's no way around that. Think about it. Think, think about how true this statement is, that hope involves waiting. Like if things were already exactly as they should be in your life, or if things were already how you wanted them to be in your life right now, or for that matter, if you knew the future and you already knew exactly everything that was going to happen in your life, then what on earth would you have to hope for these days? Like the reason you hope is exactly because you don't know the future and because you want things to be different than they are in your life right now. You hope for something to happen in the future because right now things are not as they should be. Whether that's something that you hope for is is marriage or having kids or seeing your kids grow up and finally get out of your house. Maybe you're hoping for that or maybe you're hoping for something to happen in your career, hoping for maybe a better wage, you know, the ability to make more money. You're, you're hoping that God will answer your prayers, prayers for healing or for salvation of a loved one or for provision or guidance. You hope because you want something to happen in the future. But right now, you're waiting to see what happens because you don't know. You're hoping and you're praying, but you're also waiting 
because hope involves waiting. This, to me, on this first Sunday of Advent, Hope Sunday, is what in part makes the Christmas story so compelling. It's this very idea, this tension, really, between hope and waiting and how the two go hand in hand. We don't think of it that way often because we already know how the story turned out, don't we? We're not waiting for the Messiah, the Savior, to come anymore, are we? Like, we already know about Bethlehem and about Jesus and the manger and about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels. And we already know about the wise men who came later and the the gifts that they brought. We already know the Christmas story. And so we're not waiting and hoping for it to happen one day. And so it's easy to forget or to miss this tension and the hope that the Jewish people lived with for centuries as they awaited a savior. Ours and theirs are promised Messiah. It's interesting, actually, as you scan through the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, which were written, by the way, centuries before the birth of Christ. Do you know what we find as we scan those scriptures as it relates to this topic, the birth of Christ? Well, you find promise after promise and foresight after foresight and prophecy after prophecy about the coming Messiah, about Jesus, Israel's long-awaited Savior. In fact, by some counts, and this is crazy to me, but by some counts, there are as many as 574 verses in the entire Old Testament that intentionally point to or describe the coming of Christ. And truthfully, every verse in the Old Testament and the entire Bible points to Jesus in some way, as Jesus tells us in John 5, that all Scripture points to Him. But amazingly, there's as many as 574 Old Testament verses that do so intentionally and prophetically. 574, that's one out of every 40 verses in the entire Old Testament, 574 messianic prophecies and promises that clearly speak to the coming of Christ, which is a lot of promises, isn't it? And and a lot of hope for the future, for the nation of Israel. And I, I wish we had time to look at all 574 verses here this morning, but of course we, we don't have time and Don't worry, I would never do that to you. Anyway, I can preach for a long time, but probably not that long. So I'll just share a couple of the 574 with you instead. I'll share actually two, two passages from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who 700 years before Jesus's arrival promised as much or as more as any other Old Testament prophet did in the entire Old Testament about the advent or the coming of Christ. First of all, in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Isaiah prophesies about the birth of Christ by saying this. He says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sound familiar at all? Matthew, in his gospel, directly quotes this verse, telling us uh, the Christmas story and quoting this prophecy, hyperlinking back to Isaiah and connecting the dots for his original Jewish audience. And then secondly, a couple chapters later in Isaiah 9 verses 6 uh, and 7, we read some more familiar words where Isaiah once again prophesies about the coming of Christ and what Christ will do and be, saying this, verse 6, he says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's heavenly or heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah here, of course, is quoting from Charlie Brown, from Charlie Brown's Christmas special, isn't he? For unto us a child is born. No, it's the other way around with Charlie Brown quoting Isaiah in the promise that was given again some 700 years before the birth of Christ and was later echoed in Luke 1 by the angel Gabriel when he spoke to Mary and told her that she would conceive a baby and whose kingdom, you know, would never end and this sort of thing. It all comes from the prophet Isaiah, from this very passage. And there's many uh, of the messianic promises and prophecies that we find in the Old Testament here, right here in this very book, the book of Isaiah. I've only highlighted a couple. We could look at more with Isaiah 11 as well, talking about uh, how the Messiah would come from uh, King David's lineage as Jesus did. And Isaiah 40, talking about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the one who would come before Christ and prepare the way for Christ, as Kristen just read for us a few moments ago from Matthew 3. And Isaiah 53, talking about the suffering of Christ and how he'd be despised and rejected and ultimately would be put to death for the world's sins. There's so many examples of this that we could look at just from the prophet Isaiah. But then there's other Old Testament books as well, where in Micah, for example, Micah, Micah prophesies in Micah 5 about how the Messiah, the ruler, would be born in Bethlehem, as we know that Jesus eventually was. And then as one more example in Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, in chapter 3, God, through Malachi, talks about John the Baptist, once again, just like Isaiah did, and he promises to come himself saying that John the Baptist, my messenger, will prepare the way for me when I come to my people. There's so many different examples that we could look at. 574 to be exact, with promise after promise and foresight after foresight and prophecy after prophecy about the coming Messiah, when Emmanuel, God in the flesh, would come himself to save his people, giving the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, an incredible promise and an incredible hope, a hope that they'd have to wait a long time in order to see fulfilled. Do you know, sometimes I read these verses, this, these messianic prophecies in the Old Testament and it just seems so obvious to me. I don't know if you, you do this or feel this way too, but it just seems so obvious to me that they're talking about Jesus and that Jesus clearly fulfilled all these promises and all these hopes and more. And it makes me wonder, like how could anyone have not believed that Jesus was the Messiah? Like when Jesus came and all these things came true, right? Bethlehem and the healing of the sick and good news for the poor and King David's lineage and John the Baptist and the cross and of course the resurrection. Like how could anyone have thought that Jesus was anything but who he said that he was, the Messiah, God in the flesh. Like it's all right there in the Jewish scriptures. You ever wonder that? How, how people could have not believed, well, why it is that they didn't see this, how it is that they could have missed this? Well, I think there's at least two reasons why some missed this when Jesus came. Two reasons that people did not believe that Jesus was who he said that he was, the Messiah, God in the flesh, with the first reason being this. It was that they had misplaced expectations. 
on God, misplaced expectations on God, that because they had misunderstood the scriptures and because they had misunderstood the promises of God regarding the Messiah, they had misplaced and misguided hopes and expectations of the future and of God as a result, which left them hoping for a, a very different kind of savior than the one that they got, right? Where instead of getting a, a political savior, the political savior that they expected, and instead of getting the violent uh, military hero that they felt they needed and the earthly king that they wanted, they got Jesus instead. The Prince of Peace, right? The forgiver of sins, the lover of enemies, not the killer of enemies, but the lover of enemies and the spiritual savior of the world. They had misplaced expectations, having placed their hopes in all the wrong things, expecting God to meet them on their terms in alignment with their expectations and according to their desires instead of God's desires and God's plan, leaving them disappointed, disillusioned, and in disbelief when Jesus turned out not to be the one that they were expecting, when Jesus didn't check all the categories that they had uh, for him. And it makes me wonder then about us, right? And how in some ways we continue to do the very same thing to God today. Maybe not in the same way, of course, like we know now that who Jesus is and, and you know, who, who he came to be, the kind of Messiah he came to be. But like Israel at times, we can still have different categories or desires and expectations of God that we want God to meet for us, can't we? Where if he doesn't do what we hope he'll do, if he doesn't answer our prayers or come through for us in a certain way, providing for us, healing us, restoring our relationships or whatever the case may be, if God doesn't do what we hope he'll do for us, then we too can be left feeling disappointed, disillusioned, and in disbelief before God. Why? Because we too at times can have misplaced expectations on God, placing our hope in what we want God to do for us rather than placing it in who he has shown himself to be to us in Christ. We can be so transactional with God sometimes, can't we? Thinking that God somehow owes us something or something and that a relationship with God is all about what God can do for us and how he can take care for us and answer our prayers and things like this. We can be just like the Israelites expecting God to fit into our categories. That's the first reason many missed seeing Jesus for who he was. It was because they had misplaced expectations on God. Second reason then was this. It was that, simply put, waiting is hard. Right? Waiting is hard. And the longer you wait, the more hope tends to wane. Right? Like, like think about this. The messianic prophecies that I read from Isaiah earlier, they were written, listen, they were written 700 years before Jesus actually came, which is a long time to wait, isn't it? And then there's Malachi, the last book of the entire Old Testament. Earlier, I mentioned a messianic prophecy from Malachi 3 as well, which is actually the last messianic prophecy given in the entire Old Testament. And do you know how much time uh, lapsed in between that promise and Jesus's arrival? About 400 years. In fact, in my Bible, as well as with most Bibles, probably yours as well, there's this 
page in the, in the middle of the Bible, after the Old Testament and before the New Testament, this one page kind of divider, and, and it represents in a way, not intentionally, but it represents uh, this period of time known as the intertestamental period, which is that 400 time period, 400 years in between the Testaments. And what's so significant about those 400 years is that spiritually speaking, nothing significant really happened. There were no prophets like there was in the Old Testament, no encouraging words from God to keep going that, that were recorded or that we know of, no real Moses or Joshua type figure to lead the way that we know of, no miraculous pillars of cloud and fires by night, no burning bushes or things like this, just 400 years of what I imagine felt like complete radio silence from heaven, where God did not speak and where God's people were perpetually oppressed, first by the Persians and then by the Romans. And as they continued to wait for God to finally come through for them, waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue them if ever he was going to come. It's a lot of silence and a lot of waiting a lot of suffering and questioning and wondering if God was ever going to deliver on his promises. And we know that the longer we wait, the more difficult it is to hope, isn't it? Especially when there's no end in sight. Like it must have felt at times for the nation of Israel as they waited in silence. Like imagine, uh, it's a silly example, but imagine waiting in the ER to see a doctor for four or five hours. It's not that hard to imagine, is it? Because we've all done it. We've all been in the ER for a long time waiting to see the doctor. And what makes waiting for the doctor so tolerable, even if we don't like it? Well, it's the hope, right? The hope, the promise of seeing the doctor, of eventually seeing the doctor. It's knowing that eventually you will get to see the doctor and she or he will help you get better. That they're going to treat whatever ills you have and give you medicine and whatever it is that you need to get better. And so you wait in anticipation and hope and frustration as well. But imagine being told by the triage nurse upon arrival that while there is a doctor on the way to the hospital, they don't know for sure when she or he will get there. And that while they hope that they'll arrive soon, they can't make any promises. In fact, personally, you might not ever get to see the doctor, they tell you. You might actually die in the waiting room and that maybe if you're lucky, your descendants somewhere down the line will eventually get to see the doctor. Imagine being told that, like how much hope would you have in your sickness or whatever it was that brought you to the ER in the first place? And how optimistic would you feel about your life? And how likely would you be to just give up and to leave that uh, waiting room? It's a far-fetched idea, I know, but I imagine this, this is kind of how the Israelites felt as they waited for a savior, having been promised that he was on the way coming to save them from their pain and their suffering, from the oppression of those who were over them, but then waiting for centuries, for generations, before he delivered on that promise, before he came, while all the suffering and pain continued. It'd be pretty hard to hold on to hope when you're in that kind of scenario, isn't it? Because waiting is hard. And the longer you wait, the more hope tends to wane. So what about you? Are you losing hope these days? 
in the ER of life? Have you maybe lost hope in your waiting on God? Is God taking too long for you? Well, here's something that I take comfort in as I reflect on the Christmas story. Maybe you will too. It's that God's timing is perfect. That God's timing is perfect. And I, I might not always like it or understand it. I might even get frustrated and irritated by it as I, uh, you know, I'm often surprised that God doesn't operate on the same schedule as me. But, but God's timing is always perfect. And he is and will be faithful to me always, even when I don't understand why certain things have happened the way that they have. And even when I don't like the things that have happened, his timing is always perfect. Galatians 4 verse 4, the apostle Paul in talking about the Christmas story, he basically says just this, where he says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. He says, when the right time came, meaning that there was a right time and there were lots of wrong times. And why that right time wasn't earlier, why God didn't hurry up and send Jesus somewhere you know, earlier than the 400 years that it took him, we, we don't know. But God knows. And he is good. And he is faithful. And his timing and his plan is always perfect, both in God's redemptive plan throughout human history for the world and in our daily lives. His timing is always perfect, and so we can trust him. Do you believe that? Like, really believe that in, in your biggest hopes and fears and dreams for the future and all that kind of stuff? Do you believe that God's timing is perfect? Do you trust that God knows what he's doing and that he'll always be faithful to you? Because I know waiting is hard. I know it is. And I know that the longer you wait, the more hope tends to wane. So do you trust in his goodness, his faithfulness, in his timing? Well, here is some good news for us in our waiting. Here, here is what makes hope, Christmas hope, Christian hope possible for us today as followers of Jesus. It's this, listen, it's that our hope is not in what God can do for us today, but in what he has already done for us in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again because I want you to hear this and know this in your heart of hearts. Our hope is not in what God can do for us today, but in what he has already done for us in Christ Jesus. Where instead of approaching God in a transactional way with misplaced hopes and expectations on him, expecting him to hurry up and to do this and to do that for us and to basically just make our life easier, to make our life better and just relieve our suffering, we approach God instead. The God of all hope, as Paul talks about in Romans 15, knowing that he has already provided everything that we need in Christ Jesus. That's our hope. That he has already given us everything we need in Christ Jesus. And, and what or who has he given us? He's given us himself, hasn't he? He's given us Emmanuel. God with us. God with us in our pain and suffering. God coming to earth to suffer and to die for us. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, the forgiver of our sins, and the healer of our hearts, and the restorer of our relationships, the one our heart truly longs for. Emmanuel, God with us. 
God come to save and redeem and forgive us and to give us new life in God. This is Christmas hope. Not necessarily what God can do for us today, though we pray and we ask God to do things for us and he wants us to do that and that's fine and good. But that is not our hope that he's going to answer all our prayers because we know that he doesn't always answer all our prayers and that things in life don't always happen the way that we think that we should be, that they should be. Our hope is not in what happens. It's in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in what he has already done for us because he is our hope, our living hope. I wonder if you know this hope, and if you're living with this hope, if you've been changed by this hope, because you can be, no, no matter what it is that you're facing in life, no matter what expectations you've had of God, no matter how tired you are of waiting for him to come through for you, you can know the hope of Emmanuel if you just say yes to him today by surrendering your life and your hopes and your dreams for the future to him, inviting him to come and to save and to rescue and to redeem you, to be your one and only hope. Jesus is our hope. Well, as we wrap up, I want to leave you with a few reflection questions to consider in your own story, in your own journey. That first question being this then, what are you hoping for these days? And what do your hopes reveal about your faith in God? I asked you earlier, what's your, your big hope these days? What's the one thing that you're hoping for? How did you answer that question? And what does that reveal to you about your faith in God, your trust in God? What's he trying to show you through your hopes and your plans and your dreams for the future? How does he want to meet you in that place of hope? Second question what are your, uh, are your hopes based on any misplaced expectations? If so, what are those misplaced expectations? You know, like, do you have hopes that, you know, God will uh, always come through for you in a certain way, thinking that he owes you something or whatever? Uh, do you have hopes that God will provide for you finances and that you shouldn't ever experience suffering in life because God's anti-suffering or something? Do you have misplaced expectations on God? Like Jesus told us that in this world we will always have troubles, but to not be afraid because he has overcome the world. He promised us that we're always going to have hard times. So if we're thinking that we're going to avoid hard times, if that's an expectation we have of God, we're, we're wrong. We're going to have hard times, but we can know the one who overcomes the world. Are your hopes based on any misplaced expectations? If so, what are they? And then thirdly, where are you tired of waiting? What might God be trying to teach you about hope as you wait? Where are you tired of waiting? Are you tired of waiting for God to answer your prayer for healing in your life, for salvation of a kid that you're praying for, a child that you're praying for? Uh, tired of waiting for God to provide, tired of waiting uh, for God to change your spouse so that your marriage will get better? Weren't you tired of waiting on God? And what might God be trying to teach you about hope, hope in him as you wait? And lastly, what might it look like for you to place your hope in the person of Jesus and in his goodness and faithfulness as opposed to hoping that he will do certain things for you? 
You know, a lot of times we come to God with strings attached, expecting God to do certain things for us. That's not how God works. He loves to bless his kids. He loves to provide for his kids. He loves to do great things for us, for sure. But if we come to God with strings attached, expecting him to do certain things for us, we are going to be disappointed. So what might it look like for us instead to place our hope and our trust in the person of Jesus, to hope in Christ and his goodness and faithfulness, regardless of what happens in life, as opposed to expecting him to do certain things for us? What heart adjustment needs to happen to you, in you, in order for that to happen. Because Jesus is our hope. Our hope is not in what God can do for us today, but in what he has already done for us in Christ Jesus. I pray that you know this hope in this Advent season, the hope of Jesus. Let me pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we... uh, we confess that we often come to you just expecting or hoping that you'll do certain things for us. And I thank you that you, you want us to do that. You want us to come to you with our, our hopes and dreams and expectations and prayer requests and all that kind of stuff. But more than that, you want us to know you, our living hope, the one who came to earth in the form of a baby, became human, became flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, died a criminal's death on the cross, rose again from the dead so that we could be set free from sin and live into your life and your power, live for you, know you for all eternity. I pray that we'd know that this Christmas and that we'd make our hope not about things, but about a person, about you, Lord Jesus. Minister to our hearts, speak to us where we're at today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with another Advent message, and this one will be all about peace. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.